Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. The question of the day is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's a huge question. That's a fundamental question. That's a question that has eternal implications for you. How you answer that and how you respond to Christ uh, has, has eternal ramifications for every one of us. And so uh, there are a lot of different ideas about Jesus floating around out there. Uh, there's the sweet baby Jesus idea, the, the, the Christmas Jesus, the babe in a manger that makes no demands on anybody. He's no threat to anybody, and, and uh, we just talk about him at Christmas time. And then there is uh, the milk toast Jesus, this meek and mild, super nice, polite, always accepting, non-judgmental, super loving, never critical uh, Jesus. And then there is the uh, religious teacher Jesus, the, the rabbi religious teacher. If you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, you might call him a, a prophet. And then there's the mythological Jesus that, that uh, suggests that maybe Jesus was, if, if he existed at all, he was a smaller-than-life person. And then after he died, he was mythologized and made larger than life and made into something that he was not. Or then there is the tragic victim Jesus, where he was a misunderstood Messiah, a misunderstood religious figure, and he just got uh, ground up by the religious and political machinery of the day. But then there is the real Jesus. There is the Jesus of Scripture. And this is the Jesus that John wants us to know. We saw last week that the purpose of the Gospel of John, as John writes this, is that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. And so that's what John wants us to know. He is the real Jesus. He is the Son of God. And here in John chapter 1, we're going to begin with what is called the prologue, the first 12 or 18 verses or so of, of, of John's gospel. And here John, he comes right out of the gate answering, answering the question, who is Jesus? He's not going to waste any time. It's almost like a math problem. He's going to go ahead and give us the answer first. And then he's going to back up and show us the work that led up to that. He, he gives us the conclusion, and then he'll, he'll sh walk with us uh, to help us to arrive at that same conclusion. But he wants us to know who the real Jesus is. And so today, we're going to focus on the first 12 verses or so here in John 1. I hope you'll open your Bible and follow along, download the, the uh, listening guide from the webpage, and let's get started. So who is Jesus? Well, here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you have your listening guide, I invite you to follow along. Let's consider 
this answer as John shows us who Jesus is. And really, we have a, an introduction and outline for the, for the whole gospel. We're going to see, first of all, the revelation of Christ. And uh, we might say that that parallels the book of signs, the chapters 1 through 12, as we see Jesus and the witness and the signs of who he is, his identity as the Son of God. And then there is the book of, uh, the book of exaltation or the book of glory, sometimes called the book of passion. And in that book, we're going to see the Lord rejected, but also received. And so that's kind of an outline for the gospel as a whole. Let's take a look. Let's start with the revelation of Christ. What does John tell us? about the Lord Jesus. Well, first of all, Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the Word. That's the Greek word, logos. He is the logos. Now, that was a loaded term for John's readers. There's a, there's a background to that term. In Greek philosophy, the logos was a unifying principle of all things. It is the principle of reason and order in the world. That's Greek philosophy. For his Hebrew listeners, his Jewish readers, the, the Word is the Word of God, and it speaks of the dynamic power of God, the creative power of God. In Genesis 1, God created the world by the power of His Word. The Lord said, let there be, and there was. And uh, in Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the breath of His mouth, all their host. Now, John, though, John wants us to know that the Logos, the Word, is, is not a principle, and it's not a power, but it's a person. It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is the Word. And by the way, He is the unifying principle of creation. We'll get to that in a little bit. But all things were made by Him and for Him. He is the dynamic power of God because He is God. We'll get to that in a little bit as well. But He wills the power of God. But He's the Word of God. He is the ultimate communication of God and from God. In Hebrews 1 the writer of Hebrews says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. God has spoken to us in his Son. And in that sense, Jesus is the Word. He is, he is the, the ultimate messenger from God, but he's also the message from God, the message of God. He is at, at once the, the communicator and the communication. He is the revealer and the revelation all at the same time. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He is the Word of God. And then secondly, Jesus is eternal. He is the Word, the Logos. Secondly, Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning. And that phrase takes us right back to Genesis 1-1, the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, the God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, before anything else was, before creation, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so Jesus, Jesus, the Word was in the beginning, before creation. Uh, Jesus has no beginning. He is, he, he, he was there in the beginning. He has no beginning. Uh, he always was. He, he stands outside of time. That is to say, He is eternal. God the Son has always existed. Now, 2,000 years ago, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and he was born through the womb of a virgin and laid in a manger. All that happened 2,000 years ago. We'll get to that here in a little bit as well. But God the Son, the Word, has always been. He is eternal. Here's the third thing we know about Jesus. He is God. Jesus is God. Let's keep going. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
He was in the beginning with God. So notice, notice two things. First of all, he was with God. He says it two times. He was in, he was in the beginning. The word was with God. And then in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So we have it, we have it repeated. It's there twice. He was with God. The Greek prepositional phrase there, prostanthion, is a strange phrase. It's kind of hard to translate. It means toward God or before God. It speaks of being with God. It speaks of association and distinction and interrelationship all at the same time. Uh, we, we see that same phrase a few times in the scriptures. In Romans 5.1, Paul says we have peace with God. It's that same prepositional phrase. It's not with God, that word for with, but it's prostantheon, before God or with God. And in 1 John 1, 12, we, or 1 John 1, 2, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, that same phrase. And in 1 John 3, 21, we have confidence before God. We have confidence before God. Jesus, the word, was with God, prostantheon. He was before God, with God. There again, there's a distinction there is an interrelationship. There is an association. He was with God. But then he also says, and the word was God. He was God. In the language of the New Testament, literally it was God was the word. God was the word. Whatever you say of God, you can say of the word. Whatever God is, the word is. Whatever God does, the word does as well. Now, that raises a question. How, how, could, how could the word be with God and be God at the same time. How can, how can it be he was with the Word and he was, he was with God and was God at the same time? How do you have it both ways? Well, the answer is the Trinity. He is God the Son. Uh, several months ago, uh, we were in that series of messages called Unsolved Mysteries. We talked about the, the mystery of the Trinity. And I'm not going to re-preach all that this morning, but suffice it to say that, that Scripture reveals that we worship one God, God is one. He's one God, but he exists in three persons. And there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, one God, but one God who exists in three persons. And Jesus Christ of Nazareth is, is the Word. The Word is God the Son. Jesus is God the Son. It is, it's a mystery, but Jesus is God. He's God the Son. Well, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So here's the fourth thing we see about Jesus. He's our Creator. Jesus is Creator. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then we move down at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. The world was made through him. He is our creator. In 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Paul writes this, For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. By Jesus Christ are all things, and we exist through him. Hebrews 1, 2, we just read a moment ago. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Through whom also he made the world. Colossians 1, 16, Paul says, For by him, talking about the Lord Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and 
for him. Then he goes on to say, and by him all things consist. So he is our creator. He is our creator. Now notice again in verse 3. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So John makes, he states the same truth two different ways. He, he says it positively and he says it negatively. On the positive side, God, God the Son, the Word, created all things. All things came into being through him. And then negatively stated, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Without him, nothing was made that was made. From the smallest subatomic particles, which... which Scientists are still discovering and exploring and learning about today to the farthest galaxies of the universe, which we can only imagine or dream about. From the smallest to the, to the largest, God, God the Son created them all. Jesus is our creator. Now, without getting too deep in the weeds here, too, let me show you something. Notice in verses 1 and 2, we have the word was. There's a lot of wasing going on in the beginning. Was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In verse 4, in him was life. The life was the light of men. We'll get to that. But now in verse 3, all things came into being, or all things were made by him. We have two different verbs there in the language of the New Testament. This, the, the, words are, the verbs are ami and genomai. Ami is the, is the copulative verb in Greek. It's, it's like to be in English. So I am, you are, he is. That's this word. In the beginning was the word. The word was. But then in verse 3, all things came into being. That's, that's the Greek verb, genomai. And it means to come into being, to come into existence. It didn't exist before. Now it does exist. It became, or, or it was formed, or it was created. Notice that, that the word, it didn't come into being. The word was. It just was. Uh, he, he was, rather. But all creation, it came into being. All that, again, just reinforces that Jesus is eternal. And he is transcendent. We talked about this in our, in our recent series, that, that the Lord is transcendent and imminent at the same time. He is above, beyond, and more than creation. He's not a part of creation. He's, he's the creator. He is transcendent. He is above and beyond creation. And yet he's imminent. He is with us in creation. He is near us in creation. He is involved in creation. And so that's what we see about the word. He is transcendent, but he's also, we're going to find out he's imminent as well, but he is eternal. So Jesus is the word. He is eternal. He is God. Fourthly, Jesus is life. He is life. In verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. In him was Life. This is going to be a key word for John. Uh, it's the word zoe. Uh, it's where we get the word zoo from, zoo or zoology. Zoe means, it means life. It's this life principle. It's the life that God has and the life that God gives. And uh, John uses it about 36 times here in the Gospel of John, about a fourth of all the occurrences in the New Testament. There's another word in the, in the New Testament translated life, and it's uh, just bios, where we get biosphere or, or, or biology from. Bios, and it just means everyday life, the course of life, or making a living, or material goods and wealth. For example, Paul says in Second Timothy 2, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Well, that's, that's bios. But here, Jesus is life. In him was life. The life that God has, the life that God gives, that supernatural life. Jesus is the source of that life. And we're going to hear that in John, in John three fifteen. Whosoever believes in him 
shall have eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, I am, uh, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. In John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Also in John, we're going we're gonna to find out that Jesus is the bread of life, and he is the, the light of life. He is the water of life, and he has the words of life. As our creator, Jesus is the source of our physical life, natural life, biological life. But as our Savior, he is the giver of eternal life and spiritual life. In him, in the word, in Jesus Christ was life. And then he is light. He says in verse 4, and the life was the light of men. The life was the light of men. We're going to hear Jesus say in John 8, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In John 12, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And we're going to hear in the Gospel of John this, this dualism. There is light and darkness. And darkness speaks of uh, this, the, the condition of fallen humanity, this, this world. Paul calls it a domain of darkness. It is this moral and spiritual darkness, being separated from God, absent from God. It is the condition of a, of a fallen world. Man lives in darkness. And then he says in verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness, the fallen humanity in, in his moral and spiritual darkness did not comprehend it. Now the word translated comprehend there has a double meaning, double entendre. It, may, it means to grasp and to lay hold of. It could be to grasp with the mind, that's comprehension, to understand, or to grasp with one's hand, that's to, to, to overtake or to overcome, to conquer one, to conquer something or someone. And so either could be in view, both could be in view. The darkness, fallen humanity did not comprehend the light, Jesus Christ, the Word. When the, when the Word was with us, humanity did not comprehend Him. And the darkness tried to overtake Him, but the darkness could not kill Him or destroy Him. And we're going to see the Lord crucified, but He'll be raised again. So Jesus is the light. And then in verses 6 through 8, we meet John the Baptist. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. And we, t we saw last week that in the Gospel of John, John the Apostle was never named. And again, it just points to his authorship. He, he, he's, he's the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the Apostle John. The only John in the Gospel of John is John the Baptist. And so there came a man sent from God whose name was John. So John was sent from the Lord. He had a mission from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, we're going to learn more about John the Baptist very soon. He's, he's going to come up later in this chapter. But notice that, that the same mission, in a sense, the mission that God gave John the Baptist, he gives us as well. As followers of Jesus Christ, we testify about the light. And our goal, our desire is to persuade men to believe in the light, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have that same mission, if, if you will. And then in verse 9, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Jesus is the true light. And notice that he enlightens every man. Uh, that's a question. Well, what does that mean? He enlightens every man. It may mean, it may speak of general revelation. 
In Romans 1, Paul shows us that God has revealed himself to all humanity through creation and conscience. We talked about this some weeks ago as well. Uh, but God has revealed himself in general revelation. Everybody knows that there's a creator. Now, you might reject the creator, refuse the creator, deny the creator. But everybody knows. You can look at creation and know there's a God. God made this. And in the, in the conscience, we know right and wrong. There's, there's an imprint of, of the moral code of God on our hearts and in the human conscience. There, there's God. And, and, and Paul just says, nobody has an excuse. Nobody can stand before God and say, I, I, I didn't know you existed. No, everybody, everybody receives some. Like, he enlightens every man. Or the idea may be here, he enlightens every man. He exposes, the light exposes every man, who he is and what he does. And we'll hear that theme in John chapter 3. In John 3, 19, if you want to turn there. In John 3, 19, Jesus says, This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And so some, some people then and today reject the light. They flee from the light. They, they reject the Lord Jesus and run away from the Lord Jesus because they don't want to be exposed for who they are and what they are. They don't want to be condemned. They don't want to be judged or criticized. They would rather retreat to the darkness because their deeds are evil and they love darkness rather than the light. On the other hand, he says there are some, some who come to the light. Those who practice truth come to the light so that his deeds will be manifested as having been wrought in God. Well, Jesus is the light. And then one more thing I want you to see about Jesus in this passage. He is God incarnate. In verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We'll unpack that a little bit more later on. But notice that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In our Unsolved Mysteries, we talk about the mystery of the Incarnation. God the Son took on humanity. He, he, became, he came into humanity. He, he, was, he became the God-man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son left the glories of heaven, which were rightfully his. He was born through the womb of a virgin and laid in a manger. And he lived among us and dwelt among us and preached to us the kingdom of heaven and showed us what righteousness is. And then he gave his life on the cross. But Jesus is God incarnate, Emmanuel. He is God with us. He, he is God in the flesh. He's not part God, part man. He's not some kind of a hybrid. He's all God, all man at the same time. He's the God-man, God in flesh. That, too, is a mystery, and we explored that at length some time ago. But Jesus is God incarnate. So there's the revelation of Christ just in the introduction. As John just introduces, opens up the gospel, remember, he wants you to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you might have life in his name. And so he begins right off the bat. Well, let me tell you who Jesus is. This Jesus I want you to believe in. Here's who he is. He is the Word. He is eternal. He is God. He is creator. He is life. He is light. He is God incarnate. And then we see reactions and responses to the Word. In verse 10, in verse 10 he says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. 
and those who were his own did not receive him. So here we have the rejection of Christ. He came, he, he created the world, then he came into the world, his own creation, and the world did not know him. That's, that's amazing. Just on his face, that's an amazing statement. Grant Osborne pointed out, one would expect that the people would cheer and worship their creator who loved them enough to become one of them. Instead, they did not recognize him. That's an idiom that does not mean they simply failed to know who he was, but rather they rejected who he was. And, and what's worse, not only did the creation not know him, humanity did not know him, but in verse 11, he came to his own. He came to his own people. He came to the Jews. And of all the people on the earth, the Jews should have recognized him and received him. They had a covenant relationship with God. They're God's chosen people. They had the scriptures. They knew the Messiah was coming. They, they more than anyone else in the world, they should have recognized him and received him and welcomed him and worshiped him as their Messiah. But instead, uh, they did not. They, they did not receive him. They did not recognize him. And instead, they crucified him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He was rejected. And again, here we have the outline for the book. We have the book of signs, who Jesus is. We have the rejection, the book of passion or the book of glory. And we're going to see Jesus rejected and crucified. But then we also have people who are responding to Jesus and they become his flock. And that leads us to the third thing on your outline, the reception of Christ. So we have the revelation of Christ, the rejection of Christ, and then the reception of Christ. In verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. As many as received him, to them gave he right the, the authority to become children of God. Some people did receive him. Some people did not reject him. They did receive him. They did believe, and they trusted in him. And in the Gospel of John, to receive and believe, they, they are synonyms. And in the discrete grammar of the New Testament, to believe is to put faith in, to trust in. They believed in him. We talked about that last week. It's not just an agreement with a, a set of facts. It's not just to say that Jesus is all these things. I agree with that. I, I think that's true. But it is to trust in, to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who received, those who believed, those who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Christ, as Lord, as Savior, as the Son of God, to them gave he the right to become children of God. Um, that's what it means to be a Christian, to trust in the Lord Jesus and to be made a child of God. And notice in verse 13, who we're born. We're, we become children of God. We're born from above. We're going to hear that in John 3. We're born from above. We're born again. We're born into the family of God. But notice, not of blood. We don't become children of God by blood, by natural birth. It's not, it's not by uh, heredity. You don't inherit it from your parents. You don't inherit it by, by, by you don't become a child of God by being born into the right family. It's, it's not handed down through, through descendants and so forth. It, it's, it's not of blood, you, it's nor, nor of the will of the flesh. You don't come into the family of God by, by your determination or by your sincerity or by your willpower. It's not by your desire. It's not by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not by prestige, it's not by influence, it's not by works, it's not by deeds. It's, it's, it's not by anything that originates you for humanity. It's of God, born of 
God. We become the children of God by the grace and the power of God. As many as received him, believed on him, put their faith in him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. Born from above, born of God, into the family of God. That's what it means to be a, to be a Christian. My friend, have you done that? Have you received and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you turned from sin and self, put your faith and trust in Christ and say, oh Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I, I believe that you're the son of God. You're the Christ. You died for me on the cross. You rose again. I believe that. I agree with that. I know that's true. But Jesus, more than that, I trust you. I trust you to save me. I trust you to forgive me, to save me, and use me. Take me, oh Lord. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have you done that? If not, I invite you to return to him today. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's, that's the introduction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Receive and believe, and you can be made a child of God. If you are saved, boy, look at our amazing Savior, our cosmic Christ. He is the Word. He is eternal. He is God the Son. He is our Creator. He is life. He is light, and He is God in the flesh. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the Logos, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, the Word. Lord, we thank you for our Bibles, that you reveal these things to us. We thank you for this time in your word as we learn about the Word. God, I pray for the one who's never been saved and help them to see and to hear and to know they need Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would Convict them of sin, draw them to your son, and I pray that this very day they would receive and believe and become children of God. Lord, thank you for this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray.